Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. I'm your host, James Intracasso. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. I'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com. They're a brick-and-mortar game store that also exists online. They have D&D and other tabletop games, any edition, even out-of-print products. With Noble Knight, you can even sell back your old gaming products you aren't using anymore. Let's hear a quick word from them. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, even Saturday. Noble Knight is a brick-and-mortar game store. Support small businesses that also exists online. Open 24-7 on the web. They have D&D and other cool RPGs. Any edition, any game. Even out-of-print products. And at a discounted price. That's out of control. Have a bunch of old game products collecting dust? Dangerous allergen. Noble Knight will buy the old stuff you aren't using anymore. Looking at you, Indiana Jones RPG. So go to noblenight.com and get by it and sell it. Take back your life and tell them the Tone Show sent you. Today, we're talking about the end of Legends and Lore, new D&D digital columns, and the return of Dungeon and Dragon magazines. But first, let's meet our panel. Say hello, Vegas Lancaster. Hi, I'm Vegas Lancaster. And Vegas, uh, how long have you been playing D&D? I've been playing D&D since I was almost too young to read. Uh, <laughs> so a long time. Sam Dillon, say hello. Hello. And Sam, how long have you been playing D&D? Uh, 32 years now. Wow. And what yeah. is it that you do in the D&D tabletop world? Uh, nothing. No. <laughs> uh, I am the senior editor uh, of the Tome Show, and I also run a little blog called RPG Musings. Yeah, and everybody should go check that out because it's really great. Another well, person who has a really great blog is Tracy Hurley. Tracy Hurley, say hello. Hello. And Tracy, what is it that you do in the world of D&D? So I'm a co-host on the Tome Show. Uh, I have my blog, saradarkmagic.com, and uh, I also do some freelance writing in game design. Excellent. And new to the roundtable is Wade Kemper. Wade, say hello. Hello, folks. Wade, how long have you been playing D&D? I am one year shy of Sam. Uh, This is my 31st year, so I started in the way back of 1984, I think. Excellent. Well, we're very happy to have you on the show today. Guys, we have a get-to-know-you question, which is, what is your favorite plane of existence? It can be from anything. It doesn't even need to be from D&D. Vegas Lancaster, what is your favorite plane of existence? Uh, Earth One. That's uh, real Earth, where we all live. (laughs) (laughs) And it's also where all the DC superheroes live. (laughs) It's uh, it's interesting to me that real Earth is also where all of the DC superheroes live. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess Earth One is uh, wherever uh, the. I guess it's a subjective term. Uh, the Earth you live on is presumably what you think of as Earth One. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sam Dillon, what is your favorite plane of existence? Uh, my favorite plane of existence is uh, Candy Mountain. No, not really. Uh, <laughs> although you should go Google uh, Candy Mountain and watch Charlie go to Candy Mountain. Uh, but uh, the astral plane is actually my favorite because um, I think flying ships are cool. I agree. Although I will say the fact that you are tethered to a cord that Gith Yankee can cut is terrifying to me <laughs> about the ass. Yeah, plane. but that's what makes it awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Tracy Hurley, what is your favorite plane of existence? I like the material plane um, in part because Melora loved it so much. Ooh, that's a good choice. I mean, material plane can't go wrong. That's where most of the action happens, right? Wade Kemper, what is your favorite plane of existence? Uh, well, when I was a kid, I couldn't get enough of like the nine hells and the abyss, you know, because when you're 15 and you wear a jean jacket, uh, everything has to be, you know, it looked like, uh, the cover of every Dio album is where I wanted to adventure. But, but then I started to, uh, explore a lot more of like the origins of D and D and where all, you know, a lot of the monsters came from. And I got to say lately, my favorite is the Feywild. Mm. Um, which it doesn't seem like it's as cool as it, it should be, but, but one of the last fourth edition books was the uh, heroes of the Feywild, which I think is the best book produced from fourth edition. But I started to pick up the idea of this like Fey world where everything is so magical, but also dark and like the hags and the weird hobgoblins that are running around and stealing kids from their own beds. I mean, that kind of stuff is really creepy. So (laughs) I'm into the Feywild lately. Can't go wrong with being into the Feywild. So, and I think it is one of the coolest things to come out of fourth edition was the, you know, the Feywild and the Shadowfell as reflections of the material plane. I really like that. The end of the beginning was an article, uh, the final Legends and Lore article put out by Mike Merles on the D&D website on the 8th of December. And Mike essentially says, you know, that this is the end of his column, Legends and Lore, because it was sort of always about what they were developing for 5th edition and a peek behind the, the curtain at everything that was going on back there. And he mentions that there are three new columns that will be coming this year sometime that will be posted on the D&D website. One of the first things he talks about is that a series called Unearthed Arcana is going to be a monthly look at the art of tabletop RPG design with insights into the Wizards of the Coast team philosophy and examples and variant materials for you to use at your table. So I was pretty excited to see that. Uh, You know, I was a little bummed like, ah, it's only going to be monthly. But I do think it sort of factors into this philosophy of rather than put out a bunch of stuff, we're going to put out quality stuff instead. I think this is probably we're going to see a lot of things like new races, maybe the Warforged, that kind of thing. And also, you know, variant rules for mass combat. I would say of the uh, columns, this is one of the ones I'm looking forward to the most. Uh, But what are you thinking? And what do you think that this column will feature? Sam? I don't know. I I mean, I I feel like um, web content is kind of hit and miss. So I hope that the fact that it's going to be released rarely or you know i mean once a month is pretty rare for web content so i think i i'm hoping that it's going to be really kind of meaty and you know and interesting at least and 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 give me some new options you know it says it's going to be new options and whatnot but i don't know i i i'm 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 uh, skeptical about 
what uh what makes you skeptical the fact that it could still be a rush job and you know not the quality that we would like to see well i mean just like uh insights into their philosophy well what does that even mean like mm-hmm. You know, are they are they going to discuss rules and 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 different variants and talk about you know why the proponents of that variant have suggested it and 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 what are the pros and cons or like do kind of a point counterpoint thing because that would be awesome. Yeah. But is otherwise is it going to be like oh well for this edition we wanted to do this blah 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 very vague kind of interesting in a tangential kind of way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I just, I want to see it before I, I'm keeping an open mind, a skeptical, but, but open mind. Sure. Well, and I think when you put it that way, it kind of sounds like legends and lore, you know, sometimes his articles were really great and sometimes mm-hmm. they were a little, it kind of felt like he just needed to put out a legends and lore. And, yeah. and, you know, right. <laughs> uh, Tracy, you know, you actually uh, have written for, wizards before and you've written digital columns for them before what do you think about this unearthed arcana column and what would you like to see coming out of it i think one of the big things i'd love to see about it come out of it as uh, sam was starting to talk about with their philosophy part like i would love for them to have differences of opinion mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. article in part only because it helps model to the community that that we can have these differences of opinion and still be playing something that we all call D and D and get along <laughs> exactly. together. Exactly. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, so that would like be a big thing for me. And also sometimes uh, understanding the philosophy can help people who are relatively new to, to writing content to, to maybe feel more comfortable coming forward and saying, Hey, I would like to write this and it fits with this philosophy you're talking about and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I think a peek behind the screen is really good for people who who do want to be freelance writers and that sort of thing. And that you know, the Adventurers League just put a call out for freelance writers to uh, come and submit their stuff. You know, it would be great to have that insight into philosophy. Or you know, I would even like to see some things that really get down to the nitty gritty about active versus passive voice in our you know in our stuff. And we really look for things that look like this. And when we write about saving throws and spells we like to lay it out this way i'd love to even see that kind of thing like a style guide yeah yeah that, and which may be a thing that we see possibly within ogl uh but that is certainly a that's a whole other podcast wade how are you feeling about unearthed arcana uh i'm actually gonna take a complete opposite approach that sam and tracy uh gave you because i think if you want to put in the philosophy of adventure design and differing opinions and everything else then call it something besides Unearthed Arcana because in the first edition and the third edition of that book, it was all about these pantsless, crazy, obscure rules that you could just try, especially the third edition book. Believe it or not, uh, Unearthed Arcana first edition introduced something as crazy as pole arms, which of course nowadays we're thinking, you know, of course you're going to have pole arms. But the third edition one uh, is kind of what I hope they do with this. They just dole it out over the months episodically. So I'd love those to be sidebars like they used to do in the third edition books with like behind the curtain as to, you know, here's why we decided to put teleporters in this article and laser beams and stuff. But give me like these really weird, far out, crazy things that might not even be completely tested and are more like, hey guys, here's some things we've been batting around the office because fifth edition is so easily manipulated hey, I don't like your version of this, but I like where you're going with it, so let me take it and mold it into mine. So like some of the stuff I have jotted down here is the thing that I 
that I really want to see come back, and I think it's probably high on the list. Maybe it's not. Um, do you remember in the playtest when they were bouncing around attributes of weapons where, like, a polearm could do a trip attack, mm. um, but, like, a trident could do something very uniquely trident, and then they lost that. But I bet you somewhere they have enough design notes to say, hey, guys, here's where we were, polish them up a little bit, and just unleash them upon us. <laughs> That's what I want to see Unearthed Arcana to be, to be really like these these documents that are just inspiration pieces. And now, things like mass combat, which I know they have prepared, I want to see that done in a much more by-the-book fundamental way. But like when they say, hey, guys, here's what a spelljammer ship looks like. Have some fun with that, and then just let me run with it on my own campaign world. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. See, I, I agree with you, but that's why the word philosophy scares me in their description of what the articles are going to be. Yeah, because if if it's going to be all the weird variants and just like here they are, that's totally awesome too. But when you start getting into you throwing the word philosophy around, then it's I don't know. It starts turning into you know what's it going to be? Is it going to be this vague thing about well, our philosophy is. This month, Chris Perkins wanted to have ray guns. Here you go. You know, like, right. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I would really like to see a healthy mix of both of it, of them saying, here's the philosophy and then here's what we did. Like, so, so now that yeah. you know that here are ray guns because ray guns fit into the philosophy in this way. So, and I'm hoping because it's a monthly thing and not a weekly thing, we get a little bit of a meteor article in that sense. Let's talk a little bit about the next column, which is they're going to publish a regular series of campaign notebooks. Uh, Essentially, it's going to be insights into the campaign worlds taken from Dungeon Masters right there at Wizards of the Coast. Mike even says in the article, expect to see a steady dose of Chris Perkins here. I loved the DM's experience articles that Chris Perkins would write. Sam, what do you think about the campaign notebooks series they're planning on doing? I think that name's in quotes because they don't know what they're going to call it yet. But uh, agreed, <laughs> I'm I'm okay with that because I think campaign notebooks is kind of a odd. It seems to narrow down the focus of what it feels like it should be. But anyway, uh, I love all the old uh, Dragon Magazine articles with the, like the Dungeon Craft articles, and and then in Fourth Edition they had the the series of of web articles where you know they talked about different different problems that they have in the game and here's how this person solved them or you know like the save my game type of articles and and the the articles by chris perkins about his eomandra campaign were really good um i love that idea i think it's great i think that um it's it sort of embodies that that idea of um teach by showing or you know teach by example and so here's an example of you know here's a problem i had and here's how i'm going to solve it or here's how i think i'm going to solve it and i'll get back to you and let you know how well it went um, and I think that's really important, especially for some new players or for, for new new GMs or DMs who want to start sort of uh, spreading their wings and maybe developing their own kind of setting elements. That's what they really need as a lead, a lead by example, you know. Um, and so I, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be great. Tracy, how do you feel about these campaign notebooks? Uh, so all the things Sam said, I, I love this because – we didn't, you didn't ask me at the beginning, but I've only been playing for about six years. Mm. So I have a lot of catching up still to do. Uh, but the one thing I do hope is that they expand out beyond just the people at Wizards. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Um, because I feel like the, 
like I would love Susan J. Morris to do something like this with a lot of the puzzles and stuff she works in her game. Yeah, she was on the end of the year tome wrap up podcast and her campaign sounds mm-hmm. fascinating. I would really love for for her to do that. I would you know, I would love to see stuff from uh, you know, maybe Enrique Bertrand or, or Mike Shea, you know, that kind of thing. It would be cool to take a peek into people's campaign world. So um I'd love mm-hmm. to see that. That's a great idea. Wade, what do you think of the campaign notebooks? Uh, I'm going to echo everything that Sam and Tracy said. That is a fantastic idea. Um, one of the things that I know the DMG was criticized for by some people in the community is that they felt like it didn't open up enough for advanced players to kind of tinker with the system. But the DMG is also meant for all the players of the game. And those of us who have done it for a while can look to people like Chris Perkins and Merles and whoever else they outsource, Shay. Um, to step up their game, but maybe the new kids on the block don't want to listen to that stuff yet because, I mean, the DMG is huge, right? That's a lot to get through as a, as a starting DM, but it's nice that this stuff is going to be online and accessible for all of us who might want to hear what Chris Perkins has been up to. I just wish the characters in his campaign were easier to pronounce because, <laughs> because all I did, and I still think I got the lessons from it, was I remember the last few that he had had listed, there was a very clear distinction. There was a line that said, you know, what what we learned from doing this. Mm -hmm. And I just skipped to that because his campaign sounded great, but it wasn't my campaign. But when he succinctly put in at the end, here's what you can take away from it. That was brilliant. And I want to be able to take from him, but I I don't think a brand new DM needs that. So put it in an article, let those of us who go to dnd.com every day, kind of find it. Mm-hmm. But I think this is a real good forum and just in general, a real good forum for all this digital content for that sort of, I guess it's what the old uh, advanced D&D was, you know, it's like this step up, but still very clearly delineated from the original line. Vegas Lancaster, what do you think about these campaign notebooks? I mean, I think it sounds great. I've always enjoyed uh, reading what they're you know, quote unquote, professional DMs uh, do and what they think works and doesn't. Like, I enjoy hearing their stories at conventions and things. Um, it's funny if you if your hobby is like basketball, you can always watch the elite level of that game being played. Is like, or if you're into music, you know, you hear professional musicians all the time. Your hobby is D and D. For the most part, that elite level of play doesn't exist on an accessible level and this is that's kind of what i see these articles as <laughs> it sounds silly to say what it would be like if you were awesome at playing dnd uh, <laughs> but that's basically what professional sports and stuff is you know there's professional starcraft players it's not crazy to think that there's a elite way to play the game and that's kind of what we're experiencing when we read about how Chris Perkins DMs and things like that. Yeah, yeah, certainly Chris Perkins is kind of like the LeBron James of the Dungeon Master world in many respects. That is one of the other things that he mentions in the article is that they're going to be doing a lot more live streamed games because they seem to be more popular 
I'm guessing then Wizards was probably expecting. You know, they they put out a bunch this year and they're going to said they plan to continue them. So Sage Advice uh, column that uh, we used to see in Dungeon and Dragon magazine and also existed on the D&D website for a while. Uh, Jeremy Crawford is taking up the mantle of the Sage again. He kind of already has on Twitter. He's been answering lots and lots of questions since 5th edition launched. Um, But, you know, now we're going to see a variety of rulings from on high advice on how to you know get your your players to manage things and and advice insights onto why the rules are working the way that he is saying they should work so i'm excited to see this column uh what do you think tracy i hope that it keeps some of the because i've read some of the old old ones Mm -hmm. where like they just assumed that the world was real and went with it and i hope he keeps doing that sometimes. like when you get the really off the wall questions <laughs> sam what do you yes. think uh, like tracy i hope that it keeps the uh the sort of um light-hearted uh ability that it used to have uh you know if you go to the um the sage advice archive you can read you know every sage advice question and answer um and some of them are just absolutely hilarious. Some of them make me cringe, but some of them are hilarious. <laughs> and uh, and I think that um, for for constant readers of of Dragon Magazine, mm-hmm. it was sort of the um, it was it, it sort of it lended to the flavor of whatever edition it was being written about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it can be a really big opportunity for them for fifth edition to provide some some sort of um not satire not parody but close you, you know what i mean it's not it's not not almost never full on parody or full on satire but i think if they if they have a lot of tongue in cheek uh, ability there they can really make it very much light more lighthearted than than um than certain questions seem to be in fourth edition let's say fourth edition was a very edition war provoking edition and so i think if they if they can if they can make fifth edition really stay lighthearted then i think it can be a wonderful column uh, vegas lancaster you looking forward to getting some sage advice uh, i think it makes sense <laughs> i mean <laughs> D is a game about big books or rules uh it's gonna need some rules arbitration the D website is the place for it <laughs> <laughs> well put well put my friend uh wade you have anything about sage advice you'd like to add i would like to respectfully disagree with mr lancaster oh uh, yeah. <laughs> so yes yes it will happen so here's the thing i when fourth edition and, and third to some extent were out Man, I was constantly hitting those forums looking for rulings, looking for interpretations. I don't do any of that for fifth because fifth just lets you do it, right? So, yeah, so maybe Jeremy Crawford says this is how cover works and blah, 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 blah. And I'll read them, but I doubt I'll take any of that back to my group because we're kind of doing cover our own way. And and it's a testament to fifth that says, hey, play it how you like, but if they're going to do it, and I'm going to agree with, with Sam again and, and Tracy again, do it with tongue in cheek, man. Have some fun with it. I seem to remember, maybe I'm I'm misthinking this, but wasn't the sage in Sage Advice a character himself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I think he always yeah, was. Yeah, he was either a kobold or like some kind of shaman or something. And he was a smart ass. And I love that stuff. <laughs> you go back, you go back to like 
what dragon number 19 or 34, you know, the really old ones. And it was as much fun to hear how the questions were answered than the questions themselves. Now, mm -hmm. if sage advice extends to, I've got this really problematic player who, who always shows up late and he's got body odor, you know, that kind of, like the metagaming stuff. I'm all for it because I don't think you can ever have a, a shortage of opinion on how to tell people how to take a shower before they show up to your game. Here's, here's what you're making me realize is that that type of question would be in the campaign notebook section because it's about how a GM handles the table. And things hmm. for for experienced players and DMs would be an unearthed arcana. I see sage advice as here's where if you're a new player, new DM, you have an actual question that you really want to know the answer to. You write in and you ask it and it gets answered. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe maybe they just need to rename these things or, or make them very clear from the beginning because you're right. Sage advice would be great for somebody who's two, three years into it or this is their brand new game. And they do want that ruling. I do hope, though, that the rulings come with the caveat of, I hope this works for you, but this is the way we decide. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah, if, do it, if do you, it at your table how it works for your table. Right. But if you had to ask me, which you're doing anyway because of the article title, uh, <laughs> this is what I'll tell you. But and they've they've been like that ever since the Player's Handbook in this edition is, hey guys, it's still your game. Play it how you like. <laughs> You know, which is a Gygax idea, you know. He always said that. If it's anything like his Twitter feed, uh, you're still going to see a lot of that. He takes questions all the time, and he says, in my campaign, I would do this, but it's up to the DM. You know, a lot of right. times he says, it's up to the DM, but I would do this. Would it be okay if I give an example of one? Oh, of course, one? yeah. <laughs> so question, do real barbarians eat quiche? <laughs> <laughs> And the answer is real barbarians would hack and slay anyone who offered them quiche to eat and would then stomp the quiche until it was totally flat. Barbarians are like that. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, since we've talked so much about Dungeon and Dragon magazine, let's talk about Dungeon and Dragon magazine some more. <laughs> Six PDFs uh, are available at dndclassics.com. Dungeon and Dragon Magazine are both in there, and they're retailing all for $4.99. And it's all looks like from the fourth edition days, fourth edition material so far. So I want you guys to speculate a little bit with me. You know, obviously the fourth edition stuff is probably a great place to start since it's already in a digital format. It's probably not as hard to to bring those PDFs over and just make them available for sale. You know, this has spawned everything, uh, rumors abound, everything from this means they're bringing the magazines back in print, which I'm pretty sure they've said they're definitely not going to do. You know, to, oh, they're just going to put the fourth edition stuff up and, you know, it, it, all those people have D&D Insider subscriptions anyway, so it doesn't mean anything. So I'm wondering uh. what you guys think this <laughs> means and if you're excited about the announcement and what your hopes are. Uh, Wade, let's start with you. The, the first thing that comes to mind is that these seem a little expensive for what they are. Um, not so much the dungeon magazines. I think those are pretty useful, but... Every time you look at a Dragon magazine, it's such a product of its own time uh, and, and its own edition, especially when you get into fourth editions, which is so mechanically heavy, that a lot of these things they presented in Dragon magazine were suited for, for fourth and not necessarily convertible, at least as, as of yet. 
the the dungeon stuff though i always find to be really good and i i can't get enough of those because i mean for 4.99 you're gonna have what two three four decent adventures um and i mean we were talking about chris perkins before he got his start doing a bunch of these in the old dragon magazine stuff and some of his old stuff's really good um and, and other people like it's it's so funny to see uh an old article or an old um dungeon magazine adventure from a guy named michael merles because nobody ever thinks of him as michael Moore, merles anymore <laughs> but they're all out there it's just i just think for 4.99 to get a magazine an online magazine that that and this is a dragon not the dungeon but has so much of it that doesn't really apply that much anymore to you know the new edition it doesn't seem like a good price fit for me especially when you can go into like D classics and get a good adventure for five dollars that's more um system agnostic mm-hmm. uh that you could kind of play around with that being said um i'd love for there to be a a, a monthly issue of it i don't know if it's going to be linked to something like subscribe you know subscription rate like insider was i don't know if it's going to be like a separate pdf feed or something but i definitely want to see it um although maybe the aforementioned articles are going to kind of cover all that except for the the adventures that you would get from dungeon magazine so i don't know uh hopefully optimistic but i i kind of we'll see this this one's got to shake out quite a bit more i think before i get excited well, what do you think tracy so there's like two levels for me because one is that I did have an article in Dragon 401, so it would be nice for people to be able to read it. <laughs> but I think the price is a, a bit too much for the the magazines, uh, particularly given how difficult it can be for people to play 4th edition without the digital tools. Mm-hmm. And that a lot of this stuff is, like, they did a lot of crunch uh, in in many of these articles, so... Uh, there isn't necessarily as much story or other things that can be easily brought ported between systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am excited that people could potentially read my article. Um, but if you maybe just want one article that's good advice from somebody or that sort of thing, now you can buy it and keep it forever and you don't have to get a subscription, download it, you know. Does Paizo own the rights to the uh, the end of second and, and all of third edition uh, Dungeons & Dragons magazines? Is that no. going to be a legal problem? Okay, they don't. No. No, the legal problem is with the older issues where when those contracts were signed for the art and all that, there was no digital writer on that on that contract. Mm. So they can't necessarily produce a digital copy of some of the artwork and some of the cartoons and comics and stuff that were in the older edition, uh, uh, older uh, issues of the magazines. Maybe like so. I think it's it falls into a gray area because of the way the contracts were written, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah. that's you know that's one of the reasons why uh, you know there was a CD that they released that had all of the uh, the pre like two two hundred fifty first uh, Dragon Magazine mm-hmm. issues or whatever, um, and they had to quit selling that uh, because of different copyright issues because it it put them into a format that was a different distribution that was covered in the contracts when those people signed the contracts. I'm so glad I still have mine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I do too. Um, yeah. and they, you know, and so it, I think that's where the issues are, but I don't really know how much of an issue that actually is. Like I, some people have told me it could be a huge issue, but you know, I, I don't know. 
yeah, yeah. It, it's still kind of up in the air. I'm not a lawyer, so. Well, and yeah. I know it's a, the same issue that a lot of old TV shows have trouble coming out on DVD. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we didn't see the Adam West Batman come out on DVD until this year because they had to get all of the guest stars to mm-hmm. sign contracts. Wow. Right. You right. know, um, where now that's just written into your writer. Uh, because we know about the technology, so it, it, I, that could definitely be a part of it. Uh, Sam, what do you think about Dungeon and Dragon magazine coming back via D and D? Well, I think uh, if all they're able to do is release the fourth edition uh, versions of of those, it's a tease, and I don't like it. <laughs> um, I mean, I I had a D and D Insider uh, subscription for many years, so I have all of those issues. So it's not you know I'm whatever, but I do think the price point's a little high. Um, I think most of them are between ninety and one hundred and ten pages or so. And we, if you if it was a an actual something that you couldn't get easily with the D and D Insider subscription, then Maybe the four ninety nine would be an okay price for a hundred pages of material, but you know there's a lot of white space on a lot of those pages because of the way the web formatting was um, for several of the issues. I don't know. I I feel like you know if I start seeing some third edition and second edition era uh, Dungeon and Dragon, I will jump for joy. Mm-hmm. Um, although, as I said, I have most of them on PDF already, but. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's it's a good thing. I think that those Dragon Magazine articles are definitely a a product of their era, mm-hmm. and so they're not always translatable to something that's more modern. But that's you know that's just a caveat. Some things are really interesting to read because you get to see sort of oh here is the seed of you know an assassin class you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm going way back now, but <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, but, you know, sometimes that's interesting. And sometimes when you see something written in Dragon Dragon Magazine, the early Dragon Magazines, when it was finally released as an actual, you know, in a book as an actual thing for the game, um, it was tweaked and changed. And sometimes the Dragon Magazine version was different enough that you might want to play with it, you know? So, I, I don't know. I have fixed, mixed feelings. Yeah. Vegas Lancaster, what are your feelings? Uh, I I don't I don't know what the point of putting fourth edition magazine PDFs on sale for five dollars each is. That <laughs> doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, I certainly wouldn't buy them. Uh, I mean, I think the the magazines themselves um, serve a purpose uh, in a pre-internet age where mm-hmm. you want to read about D and D stuff and can't go online and do so. Um, you know, I think they cr- kind of tried to keep that going to a certain extent with 4th Edition and D&D Insider, which I should really unsubscribe to and stop <laughs> automatic billing from because I haven't played 4th Edition in almost two years. I, 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 don't, I don't see the point in spending $5 for an online PDF of a magazine from a while ago. If you subscribe, you pay 20 bucks. You just download all of the issues because you get access to all the issues mm-hmm. for twenty bucks, or you can spend five bucks an issue on D and D classics. Right. <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense, you know. That's that's sort of the problem with the price point there. You can still buy a subscription, and one month is nine ninety five. 
So, guys, I think that is going to do it for this episode of The Roundtable. Where can people find you, Vegas Lancaster? Uh, always on Twitter, at Vegas Lancaster. And if you're ever in Philadelphia doing improv comedy with the N crowd in Old City, Philadelphia, every Friday night. And you can find links to their webpage in the show notes if you would like to buy tickets. Uh, Sam Dillon, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at DM Samuel, or you can find me at RPGmusings.com. And Tracy Hurley, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Sarah Dark Magic, or go to SarahDarkMagic.com. And Wade Kemper, where can people find you? Uh, usually in my basement. <laughs> um, if you're curious, uh, I have written a uh, theatrical production. Uh, as of late, which is fantasy based, and I like to say that if Judd Apatow had done The Princess Bride, uh, you might you might wind up with something like this. So it is um, it is an R rated production, but but uh, I did win the World Series of Screenwriting uh, for the theatrical edition of it, and so uh, if you want to check it out, I guess. Can, can we put that in the show notes, James? Yes. Yeah, we'll put okay. it in the show notes with a disclaimer. Uh, yes, so please. People know. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't want anybody stumbling upon it thinking that it is like The Princess Bride because they'll be in for quite a shock. But anyway, uh, so that's what I've been up to. I don't really have anything else credential-wise as far as I'm not a co-host to a show and I, I've never written for Wizards of the Coast, but uh, I do love the game and uh, I'm trying to spread it as much as I can as fast as I can. So that's me. <laughs> well we're glad to have you on thank you for coming on the round table and thank you to all our panelists today if you have a question or topic you'd like to hear us discuss on the round table reach out to me on twitter at james intercasso that's at j-a-m-e-s-i-n-t-r-o-c-a-s-o or you can leave us a comment on the tome show's website thetomeshow.com and a quick shameless plug for me check out my blog which is all about exploration age it's the fifth edition world that i'm building it's at worldbuilderblog.me. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening, and thanks to Vegas, Sam, Tracy, and Wade. Many thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. And hey, if you like the show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to the roundtable.